Let's take our Bible. John chapter 10. If you find your place in John chapter 10, I invite you to stand for God's Word. And we'll try to bring the message from the text. We've been working through the Gospel of John for some time now. And uh, we are uh, here in John 10. There's so much in John chapter 10. And uh, I don't know when we'll get finished with John 10. There's so much in it. I thought I'd already had covered. I thought I would have already covered a bunch of this. Uh, but there's so much. And I know I won't be able to dig out all the, my, the jewels of it, but I do want to bring uh, what God's put on our heart out of the text this morning. The Bible says in verse number, I want you verse number six, start in verse number six. <clears throat> this parable spake Jesus unto them, that they un, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Would you help us pray, and then you'll be seated. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for letting us be here this morning. What a privilege it is to be in the house of God. What a privilege it is to be with these dear people. Father, thank you for the singing that's been done by the congregation and the choir and the ladies here. God, I thank you for the songs about you and to you. And I pray this morning that you'd help me preach the word of God. I pray, God, I'd preach it with fervency and with fire. Father, I pray, God, this morning that I'd preach with the unction of the Holy Spirit of God. And I pray, Lord, God, that you'd get me out of the way. And God, I pray that you'd help me in spite of myself preach your infallible word. And I pray, God, you'd save sinners. I pray you'd stir saints. I pray we'd be reminded of who you are in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the word of God. In John chapter number 10, we are. it is immediately following the events that took place in John 9. And while I've said that before, I want to make that clear that sometimes that's not the way the Bible works. Sometimes the gospel accounts are not in chronological order. But John 10 is the conversation or maybe the, the message Jesus preaches immediately after these Pharisees, these Jews, have cast out a man out of their city. And watch this. The only crime that he committed was getting his sight back. The only thing, the only accusation they could bring to this man was he was blind and now he can see. And they cast him out. Of course, we know the real reason they cast him out is because he's accepted that this Jesus of Nazareth who, who healed him must be from God. He must be a prophet from God. And then he even makes the inclination that he believes he might be the Messiah. We find out when he gets out of the city, he doesn't just make an inclination of that way. He he believes that he is the Son of God and he trusts in him for salvation. And immediately following that, Jesus begins to preach, if you will, a message about him being the shepherd, him being a good shepherd, not a good shepherd, the good shepherd. And in the midst of this, as verse number one through five, he begins talking about uh, him being a shepherd and those that kind of climb up in some other way, they're a thief and they're a robber. He begins talking about how he, he 
has entered into the door and that speaks of him coming the way that God said he would come. And then he talks about that porter opening the door and the sheep knowing his voice. And we see him, he's talking about leading them out of this bondage, leading them out of this Judaism that has them triumphed. But verse number six says that as he spake this parable, they didn't understand. They didn't know what he was talking about. They couldn't comprehend what he was saying. And I love verse number seven. Verse number seven says, Then said Jesus unto them, I like this word, again. If you have a habit of maybe underlining your Bible, circling words, highlighting, that'd be a word I would circle or highlight or underline again, again. And you imagine for ten chapters, and we're reading them in chapters, but for three years, Jesus has been trying to preach to these people. He has been trying to tell them who he is for three years. And they have rejected him. They have turned their back on him. They have openly now said, even if you follow him, we we don't want you around. If you are going to accept him, we want you out of our city. They are, they are coming after him to kill him and to crucify him. They want him dead. And yet he speaks to them again. Again he comes to them. And I thought about that as I read that verse and I read that word again. I am so thankful for time and time again when the Lord comes by my way. I don't know about you. You may have got saved the first time he dealt with your heart. But I was not that way. I was under deep conviction for a year and a half. I did not know how to be saved. I just knew I was lost. I knew I was going to hell when I died. But I'm thankful over and over and over again. The shepherd came calling my name. I'm glad he came to me again and again and again. I'm glad he didn't leave me like he found me. I'm glad he didn't give up on me the first time he called. But again he came to me. You know what I thought about this? These men had closed their eyes so much they had become blind. They had closed their ears so much they had become deaf. They had, closed, they had hardened their hearts so much they had become stony hearted. Oh, but God comes to them again and again and again. I'm so glad about that this morning. Thank God for the again times in our lives. In verse number seven, he says this. Again, verily, verily, and I know I have, I have said this over and over again. I'm going to keep saying it over and over again because some of you don't even remember the first time I said it. Verily, 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 verily is that statement of importance. That is a statement. Listen to what I'm about to say. And this is what he's saying. I'm speaking in divine, in divine authority right now. Verily, verily. Nobody else has a right to say that. Nobody else has a right to use that phrase as they begin to speak. But, but God in the flesh has the authority to say it. Verily, verily. He says this. I've got something very important to, I'm about to say. He emphasizes the importance of the matter at hand. And I'll tell you what the matter at hand is, is salvation. He's about to talk to them one more time about salvation. And I'll tell you, there is nothing greater, there is nothing more important than the message of salvation. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Very, very, listen to what is about to be said. Notice he says, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. This morning, real quickly, God be my helper. I want to preach on the door of salvation. The door of 
Salvation. Now I'll say this, if you're saved here this morning, this is a message for you. You say, I don't know, I'm already saved. I don't need to hear all that again. Oh, you just wait. You need to hear this again. We need to be reminded over and over and over what Jesus did for us. But not only not what he did for us, but what he's doing for us and how we're to live now that we've come through the door of salvation. And you say, I'm lost here this morning. This message is for you. Hey, listen, if you're lost or if you're saved, and there's nothing in between, by the way, if you're lost or you're saved this morning, this message is for you, the door of salvation. Number one, I see the person of salvation. He said, I am the door. See, I mentioned this in the past messages. The sheepfold was usually a circular enclosure surrounded by stone walls or maybe even thorny bushes or, or something to that effect. And, and in that circular enclosure, there was one opening in the wall. And that one opening would allow entrance into that enclosure or out or an exit out of the enclosure. And at night, while the sheep were there sleeping while they were gathering and resting they would be a shepherd he would lay himself in the opening of that uh, uh, that enclosure and in, in fact uh, that shepherd became the door he became the door he was nothing could get in without coming through him and nothing could go out without passing through the shepherd and these people knew that they were familiar with shepherding we don't know much about that today I don't know nothing not sheep other than the stuff I've read in a bunch of books but I've never had a sheep I've never herded any sheep and herding sheep is not like herding cattle by the way it's totally different and so but I don't know much about it. but they knew what shepherding was and they knew about that door business and here's what Jesus said Jesus saying I am the door he's saying nobody gets into this flock without going through me nobody is going to get into this the flock of God into this way and if you try to come in any other way you're a thief and a robber according to verse number one I'm the door I'm the person of salvation I'm not a door a door is a means of entrance a door is a means of entrance a building without a door would be a vault sealed in death a building without a door a divine plan Without a door would be meaningless. It would be unreachable. It would be useless. You draw out the greatest plans all of mankind has ever seen of a great architectural building. And you don't put a door in that plan. You have got a meaningless, useless plan but Christ came by the means whereby those who are afar off may be made nigh. And there was one door in Noah's ark, only one. There was one door in the tabernacle, only one. And there is only one door into the flock, into the fold of God. There is only one door. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none of the name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is but one door the means of entrance into God's flock. The door is a means of entrance. The door is a means of separation. To be on one side of a closed door means to be separated or cut off from those on the other side. You know, a door seldom is used as an ornament. I didn't say never. I've seen my wife got that Pinterest stuff. I've seen what people can do with doors. But a door is not made to be a headboard of a bed. 
The door's not made to hang on the wall and put pictures all up. Now, I'm not saying you can't do that, but that's not what it's made for. A door is not, a door, a door is not made for simply ornament. Doors are made to be used. <laughs> what about that? Doors are made to be used. And when the door is used, a person going through a door is passing from one place to another. And watch this. There's a big difference. I know this will blow your mind. There's a big difference between inside the door and outside the door. <laughs> There's a big difference. There's a big difference in being inside. I'm talking about when the door is closed, when the door is closed, it's not possible to be on the inside and the outside. When the door is closed, you can't be on both sides at once. And that's how it is with a Christian. Uh, To respond to the claims of Christ, to respond to the gospel message of Jesus Christ is forsaking the company of all those that are without. Uh, To turn your back on everything that is on the outside of the door. Uh, To turn your back on everything that is evil. Uh, And my friend, identify with the people of God. When you come inside the door... You're separated from the outside world. It's a door of separation. A door is a means of separation. It's a means of interest. But watch this. The door is a means of protection. You think of a a storm. Any kind of storm that may come by our way. As that storm beats upon a home, that closed door becomes a shelter. Behind that solid strength of that door, there's warmth, there's comfort, there's protection. You see the winds blow, you've seen the storm. I've, I've, watched, I've watched twisters run down the road. We lived in Rockmart there, and uh, before we moved up this way, Back in 2011 of May, I watched a tornado walk down the road there on Goodger Avenue just a block away from where we lived. But you know what? When I closed that door, there was just something I felt safe about. Now, I was stupid enough to go out on the porch for a little while and watch that thing. But I got nervous. When I got nervous, you know what I did? I, I went inside and I closed the door. And when I closed that door, it didn't make that storm go away. But I felt a lot more safe. It didn't make that, that, that tornado didn't stop just because I closed the door, but I couldn't hear it as loud as I did when I was out on that porch. Hey, I was more comforted with that door closed. Hey, listen, it's a means of protection. And my friend, when Christ says, I am the door, he's inviting sinners to seek a refuge in him. He is promising, hey, when the storms of life appear, when the stresses of life appear, I am the door of protection. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Hey, my friend, that is what a door will do. It will protect you. It's a means of protection, but not only that, it's a means of exclusion. A door is a means of exclusion. An open door issues an invitation. We had a, at that house we lived at in Rockmart, it was a, really a one bedroom, I mean really. But we had this other little room and it was, a, it was our, uh, it was my little office area, my little prayer room, my little study, and we had a little futon there. And uh, we had kind of an unwritten rule at the house. We didn't have kids back yet. And my, and my wife knew if that door was shut all the way, I was probably in there handling business with God. I didn't take any technology in that room. We didn't have internet at the house back then. We didn't have smartphones. It was a lot better, most peaceful day back then too, by the way. But it was not. But we didn't have all that distractions of the world. And she knew if that door was latched, I was in there with God. It was just me and God. But if that door, it was just even just a little bit open, 
It was an open invitation to come on in. We just had that unwritten rule. We just knew that's the way it was. We just, I don't know if we ever even talked about that. That's just the way it was. And if I was about to get in the throne room, I was about to get in there and get with my secret place and get along with God, I'd just close that door until it latched. It didn't lock. It didn't have a lock on it, but I just latched it. And she knew that open door meant a door of invitation. But a, but, a, but a strong door offers protection, but a locked door, a locked door is trying to keep somebody out. I don't know about y'all, but, but we lock our doors. Now, I get mad at my wife during the day when I'm running here and around about, but my doors are locked during the day. I'm like, what in the world? I just walked across to the church, you know. Uh, but at night, I know we live out here, and y'all can say what you want to about it. Well, I'm locking my doors. You say, what you scared of? Well, I'm scared of having to shoot somebody and go to jail to talk my way out of it. Amen. Amen. That's what I'm really scared of. I ain't really scared of much of nobody. Y'all heard about that grandma, didn't you? She got pulled over by the police, and she had a. She said, "Now, so officer, before you start telling me what all you, I gotta let you know, I've got a 38 revolver right here in my purse." She said, "I got a nine millimeter right here in the door of my my car here." She said, "In the back, I've got a shotgun in the back seat, and in the very back, I got an AR-15." She said, "Sir," she, he said, "Ma'am, what in the world are you scared of?" She said, "Not a thing, not a thing." Amen. <laughs> scared. Of, and so you said, "What are you scared of?" I just, I really don't want to go talk my way out of that thing. I don't right. But we lock our doors at night to exclude some people. Sometimes it's to exclude bad people. Sometimes it's good people. Amen. Some people don't understand what nighttime means. Like, don't come to the door that late unless it's an emergency. Don't call my phone unless it's an emergency, right? I mean, exclusion, exclusion. But it tells me in the Christian life there's a time where God's going to lock the door. There was a point in Noah's, on that ark that in Noah's day that God shut that door and it was locked. And it excluded everybody that was on the outside. Now there was an invitation, 120 years. Come on, come on, come on, get on board, get on board. Be saved from wrath to come, be saved from wrath to come. Judgment's coming, judgment's coming, judgment's coming. I think about this, and I, you know, I, I think about this. Methuselah, you know his name meant when he is, when he is gone. It shall come. It was talking about judgment's coming. His name meant that. Can you imagine at his funeral? I just imagine Noah got up one more time at that funeral. He said, here lies my grandson or my granddaddy. Here lies my granddaddy. His, his message was judgment's coming when he's gone. Get ready. It's coming. I've been building this boat. I've been doing what God told me to do. It's coming. It's coming. I'm sure Noah gave one last pull. Hey, granddaddy's gone. Get on board. Get on board. And the door was open, but all of a sudden, the door shut. I wonder how, how, how deep the scratches were on the side of that door once that water started coming. Oh, my friend, one day, the door's going to be shut. One day the door shut for these Pharisees. One day they had closed their eyes so long their eyes were shut blind. One day they had closed their ears so long they were so deaf. Oh, he was calling, he was pricking, but they couldn't come. The door was shut. Stony heart had gotten so stony it would never become flesh again. They, they were so hardened to the gospel. One day they rejected him for the last time. And the door is a door of exclusion. You think about that parable that he gave, Jesus, Jesus gave about those virgins. And he said this, he said, afterward came also the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, verily I say unto you, I know you not. One day the door 
of exclusion is going to close. Come on, the person of salvation. He said, I am the door. And then I see those who prevent salvation. So what do you mean prevent salvation? Well, he said this in verse number 8. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Now, let me just go ahead and say this. When he says all that ever came before me, he is not talking about those prophets of old that God used. He's not talking about uh, Moses or, he, or Ezekiel or Isaiah or, or those prophets of old that God used. They never claimed to be the door. They never claimed to be the shepherd. They never claimed to be God. They never claimed to be the Messiah. But what he, what he is saying is those that come after me preaching a message that is not what I'm preaching. They're thieves and they're robbers. I mean, if you know this, but some of you don't. Thieves and robbers, are, they, have, they are very similar, but they're not the same. Thieves come in in stealth. They come to steal. They come to, to come in and they don't care. to. They're, they're not trying to be violent. They usually come in the, the, the cloak of night. They come in, they go out, you don't even know they're there. But a robber, a robber comes in and he's violently taking what he wants. A robber will do it in the, in the broad daylight. A robber wants you to know they are there and they're going to take it no matter who stands in front of them. A thief may be run off by a spotlight. A thief may be run off by an alarm, but a robber's not so. And he says this, those that come before me, they are thieves and robbers. And, and what it is, these people are preventing those others from getting saved. You say, how are they doing that? By selling them a false gospel. By selling them a false hope, a false truth. Maybe it was a false hope in that uh, changing, uh, changing the word of God to claim uh, uh, some other way that Messiah was going to come. It may have been uh, telling that, 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 that Messiah would never come from a little town called Bethlehem. He'd never come uh, through a, to a poor little family like Mary and Joseph. He'd never uh, live in a town like Nazareth. He would never uh, be among these people that he's among. Maybe that would be changing the word of God. Or maybe, maybe it was just the false gospel of you've got more time. I think the greatest false gospel that happens in our day is you can put, keep putting it off. Just, just keep putting it off. Just keep, wait for another time. Wait for a convenient season. Wait until something else. Let's go and do what you want to do. And then you can live for God. Go and do how you want to do. And then you can get saved. Just go, go, go. Do, do, do. And then when all of this is maybe on your deathbed, you can call out in repentance and faith. I'm not belittling deathbed experiences. I'm not saying they can't happen, but I think they happen a lot less than we claim they do. Because there's a door of exclusion. And there are those that are preventing the gospel. I've met parents who prevent the gospel in their children's life. What do you mean? I've talked to young people and say, hey, can you tell me about when you got saved? And all of a sudden, mama stepped in. Well, they got saved when he was... Well, yeah, but I want him to tell me. Tell me about when you got saved. Mama, when did I get saved? Or, or, or parents who, 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 who preach a false gospel to their children. Well, you're a good kid. 
You do. Hey, I'm going to say this, and, I, and my, my mom will tell you she's not perfect, but she's the perfect mama for me. I thank God for her. But I thank God for the night my mama came in. The night I got saved, my mama came into my room, and she said, Will, you do pretty good in school. She said, you're pretty good around the house. She said, you do pretty good at the Sunday school. You answer all them questions. That's really good and all that stuff. She said, but buddy, if you die and go to, if you, if you die without trusting Christ, you're going to hell. I remember my mama vividly telling me, no matter how good you are at Sunday school, no matter how good you are here at the house, no matter how much your grades are on the report card, if you die without trusting Christ as your Savior, you are going to hell. Be good as you want to be. You're going to die lost without God. Some preachers will preach a false gospel. Some will preach a great gospel from the pulpit, but you get in the altar and deal with people and they preach a whole other gospel. Those that are preventing the gospel. Then I wonder whose people's lives may prevent the gospel. Maybe your life on the outside, the way you act, the way you live, the way you talk, the way you walk, the things you, the, the things you do. Maybe they are preventing someone being saved, preventing someone from the gospel because they say, I can do all that without that Jesus stuff. I can live that way without wasting an hour of my day on Sunday. I don't need all of that. Preventing the gospel. Preventing salvation. And lastly, I see the power of salvation. See the person of salvation. He said, I am the door. The preventing, those preventing salvation, those thieves and those robbers. Verse number nine. He says it again. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. I, I see where it says in verse number 9, if any man, Christ can save anybody, no matter who they are, how much they've sinned, his power is not limited to saving just a few church folk or saving just a few nice folk. His power is a limitless power to save. He can save anybody, anywhere, anytime. Thank God for a whosoever will. Gospel. He says, yes, he says they'll go in and out whether they come in to worship or go out to serve. There is a nearness to the shepherd and it's guaranteed that their souls are going to be fed from the bread of life that he claimed that he was in chapter number 8. And he is the bread of life. Hey listen, I see, I see the power of salvation. Number one in this power, I see the power of security. Look what it says in, verse, in the middle of verse number 9. He shall be saved. He shall be saved. That word saved is a very descriptive word and that word means this. It was to describe someone who had recovered from a serious illness. It was to describe someone who had survived a war. It was to describe someone who had come safely through a bad storm or someone who had war won at court. And my friend, that word that describes you and I that have been saved. A friend, we were in the we were in the disease of sin. We were under the condemnation of sin. We were dead in our trespass and sin. We had been 
into a battle and we had lost. Uh, the devil had his grips on us. Uh, death had his grips on us. We were doomed and damned for hell. Uh, we lost in the court of law uh, because we were guilty, guilty, guilty. Oh, uh, but God came by and he saved us. He saved us. He rescued us. He delivered us. That word saved is a small little word, but it's a glorious declaration of our security in Christ that we enjoy in him if we're saved. Verse number 28 of the same chapter said, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Saved, saved, saved by the blood of the crucified one. There's security. You say, what kind of security you got? What are you saved from, preacher? Well, I'm saved from the penalty of sin. Amen. The penalty of sin. You say by the grace of God, you're protected from the penalty of sin that is spending an eternity in hell. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hey, we ought to get excited about not having to face the penalty of, of hell, the penalty of sin. But not only that, we're saved from the power of sin. See, when you come to Christ, you're not a slave to the whims of this flesh anymore. You're not a slave to the whims of the devil anymore. No, you're made free in Christ. And now you've got liberty to withstand that temptation. Now you've got liberty to live for God. Security is that penalty from sin. Saved from the penalty of sin. Saved from the power of sin. But thank God one day we're going to be saved from the presence of sin. One day we leave this world forever going to be free from sin's presence. Why? Because in heaven it won't be allowed. Thank God for that. There'll be none of that there. But not only that, not only will it not be allowed in heaven, when we get that new flesh, when we get that new body, that new flesh is not going to have the desires toward sin that that old flesh had. Thank God. I'm waiting for that day. <laughs> and I have the desires of sin. That power of salvation brings security. That power of salvation brings liberty. Liberty. He says this in verse number 9, and shall go in and out. Now just for those who like to pluck out a little phrase of the Bible and twist it up and try to make their own little doctrines out of it, this doesn't mean you get saved and get lost. Get saved and get lost. Get saved and get lost. That's not what in and out means. This, this liberty going in and out, it gives us freedom to live. See, this Judaism that man had created in, in, in the context of where we're at in the scriptures had those people in bondage. So much bondage. That, that woman was brought in for that adultery. Of course, we've talked about that over and over again. Not, to, not for justice, not for her to get right. They were trying to trip up Jesus. But when Jesus rescued her, they, they, they were ready to get rid of her. This man's blind from his birth. They'd never done anything for him. And Jesus heals him of his blindness, and they, they're kicking him out. Earlier on in our gospel account in chapter number 5, when he heals that man uh, at the pool of Bethesda, all because it happened on the Sabbath day. Because the man was carrying his bed. He'd been down for 38 years. He'd never been able to get up and walk, much less carry his bed. Who cares if it's a Sabbath day or not? They did. They were ready to kick him out. So there was so much bondage. So much bondage in that man-made religion. And some would say, well, the reason I don't want to get saved is because I don't want to be under the bondage. Problem is, you're so deceived, you don't realize the bondage you're in now. There is no freedom outside the freedom of Christ. There is no liberty outside the liberty that only Christ can give. You say, no, 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 I live like I want to. No, you think you do. You're lost here this morning. You don't live like you want to. You're living like the devil wants you to. 
You're controlled by Satan. You're controlled by this world's philosophies. You're, you're controlled by your own stinking flesh and you don't even realize it. Why? Because you're deceived. You're deceived, disobedient, foolish. All those things we've dealt with last couple of times in Titus chapter number three. You're foolish, you're deceived, you're disobedient. You, you, are, you are a slave to the desires of your flesh. and Bondage. The only way to get free to be made free is come through the door. See, through the door of salvation, it's a door of liberty. No, and what is that liberty give? Well, there's, there's rest through the door. Rest. See, see, you're searching for peace and you're searching for joy. And it's like you're walking out the outside of the flock. You're walking out the outside and these invisible walls are up and you're trying to find peace and you're trying to find joy and you're trying to, try, trying to find happiness and you're trying to find all these things in the things of this world. Maybe it is in some type of substance abuse or maybe it is in some type of relationship or maybe it's in some kind of other addiction that you might have or maybe it is in work or maybe it is in uh, friends or maybe it is in family and you're trying to find out but there's no rest in any of that temporal stuff. There's only rest that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Your heart is longing for and the only thing that can, can feel that longing can feel that void is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you go through the door of salvation. Now there's rest and you can rest in his grace. You can rest in the anticipation of heaven one day. See, I'm not trying to be saved this morning. I'm not trying to be saved. I'm trusting to be saved. I'm resting on His grace. I'm glad, I'm glad I got a hold of that early on in my life. Some of you may still not have a good hold on that, but I'm telling you, when you're saved, you're saved forever. I remember not long after I got saved, I, 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 I was young, so I didn't understand everything, and I still don't understand everything. But I remember you'd hear somebody talk about this, and understand talk, somebody talk about that, and they'd say, well, this about salvation, and that about salvation. And they'll get you confused if you're not careful. That's why I'm so, I'm so, I'm so adamant about you reading your Bible and studying it yourself. I remember being 14-year-old, Black Mountain, North Carolina. I remember we was in a camp, and that, our counselor that, of our group he asked us a question. He said, I want you to write down on a piece of paper how sure you are that you're saved. How sure you are that you're saved. And I started just thinking about all the stuff I'd heard. And, uh, and I remember writing down, I thought, well, I'm 80% sure. That's what I wrote down. 14 years old. Now, I got saved at about eight or nine years old. But I was, I'd heard all this confusing stuff. So I wrote 80%. And we folded it up and we put it up. And this is what he told us. Now, I don't know if he did or not. But he said, uh, he said, I'm not looking at that. I'm not looking in that cup. I didn't ask you to sign your name. I'm not looking in there. All week long. He, and this was on Monday. He said, but here's my prayer. By the end of the week, I want you to be 100% sure that you're saved. That's what he said. And I remember that day thinking, can you be? Can you be 100% sure? I really did. I never said it out loud. I just thought in my mind and my heart, wow. Wow, can you be? And you know what that man did? There was a lot of other stuff going on that week. That, his name was Gabe. 
And, and, and every time we got in those huddle groups, it was just by ourselves. He was trying, he was showing us Bible after Bible after Bible after Bible after Bible that you can be sure that you're saved. I remember that Thursday night. I remember it well. I don't know. I remember there's a lot of other stuff going on in that big service. There's a lot of stuff I wouldn't agree with and I wouldn't subscribe to and I mean all that, but I'm glad God can visit in some unlikely places. Amen. And I remember the corner of that little room, that big old room we was in. I got on my knees and I remember saying, oh God in heaven, I, all them years ago, I placed my faith and trust in you alone for salvation. And I remember saying it like this, God, if I go to hell, I'll go to hell trusting in you for salvation. I'm telling you what, there's an assurance that I'm not saved because of my feelings. I'm not saved of some, some crazy experience. But I'm saved because I did what the Word of God said. I placed my faith in the Word of God. I placed my faith in the salvation only Christ. I placed my faith in the door of salvation. And there's liberty in that. And I'm telling you what. When that happened, all of a sudden the floodgates of freedom came in my soul. I mean, the liberty that I I can now live for Christ. I can now walk in it. And that's when I started chasing after God is what I did. I ain't I didn't become perfect. I still ain't there. I'm telling you, that 14-year-old, when I got assurance of my salvation, I'm telling you, I started chasing after God. What does he want me to do for my life? I mean, that's why a lot of people don't chase after God. Because you're not even sure you're saved. The reason this is just another thing you do because it's supposed to be done, because you're not even sure you're saved. And I'm telling you what, I don't want to cast no kind of doubt. But I, if, if there's anything, I want to be a man that brings assurance, that, that, that preaches assurance of salvation. I'll tell you this, the Holy Ghost don't work in maybes. The Holy Ghost works in absolutes. Yes, you're saved. No, you're not. So if you're saved, you ought to get assured of it. Why? So you can live that life of liberty, that life of rest. And I'll tell you what, I've been resting on it ever since. The life of not only rest, but going in and out of refreshment. Jesus, you can find all your heart needs. Some of you are so empty. Got a void in your life. Because you've not realized that in Jesus is what your heart. You know, it's amazing. People will say, all I need is Jesus, but yet they've got all these vices in the world they're holding on to. All these vices they gotta have. Just gotta have it. Can't live without it. All you really need is Jesus. It sounds so simple. In a modern age that we live in where everybody wants more and more and more, and on Black Friday weekend, me preaching like, listen, all you need is Jesus. Yeah, you'd like to have that new gun that's on sale. Yeah, you'd like to have that new smoker that's on sale. I don't have a clue what y'all girls look at on Black Friday. Amen. Yeah, you'd like to have all that other stuff. But all you need is Jesus. All you need is Jesus. We've got, a, we've got a world filled with people with vices, but I'm telling you what's sad to you. We've got churches that are full. I wonder tonight, this morning, how many in here, you might have some vice. It's got a grip on your life. There's no refreshment in that stuff. Oh, for a season maybe. For a moment maybe. Jesus is all you really need. See, when you taste and see that the Lord is good, <laughs> you won't want nothing else. There ain't nothing like it. There's rest, there's refreshment, there's rejoicing through the door of salvation. There's rejoicing. But lastly, and I'm done. There's liberty, there's security, but then there's plenty.
There's plenty. Look what he says in verse number 9. And find pasture. He didn't say find a desert. He said find pasture. See, those of us that are saved, we have everything provided for us necessary for life. Everything. You say, yeah, but I ain't got, and I ain't got this, and I ain't got that, and I don't get my... You've got everything necessary for life. See, the false shepherd, the false shepherd's coming in and all he's caring about is his own self-interest. The false shepherd, he will refrain from nothing, even killing the sheep. That's what he says later on in this chapter, even killing the sheep to get his way. But Jesus comes in and he's not coming to get. He's come to give. He didn't come to be ministered to. He came to minister. Son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to deliver us from sin. From all the evil and the entanglements that come. You know what he come to do? He come to give you an abundant life. Verse number 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. Every single time. I hate. I have a, I guess it's a mixed emotion. I have mixed emotion. I, I, I like being right. I really do. I like being right. And if you say you don't, then you're a liar. Okay. We all like being right. But I hate when people go the opposite way that God's way is and his will is. I hate being right about it. Y'all get what I'm saying? I mean, they go and you say, man, I know. Or maybe they've confided in you and you said, don't do that. I wouldn't go that route. I'd stay away from that. The word of God is clear about this. And you try to give them, or maybe they don't give you advice, but you see what's happening. And, and maybe you, and if they are asking for advice, you say, I know where this road ends. I've seen it time and time again, maybe in my own personal life or in others' life. It always ends this way. It all, he's coming to steal, to kill, and destroy. You ain't no different. And you know what I hate? I hate at the end of that thing. I knew that's what I was going to end up. Not because I've got some kind of secret knowledge. Not because I've got some kind of access to something because I'm the pastor. It's because i got a Bible. And the Bible says that, that enemy... That, that, that thief, that robber, that, that enemy, that, 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 uh, that false shepherd. He, he's got one thing on his mind. And he wants to steal everything he can from you. And he wants to kill you, but, but look what it, then it says, and destroy you. See, there's some people that could die and the world would never know. You know, there's some people that the world just doesn't know much about. People don't really know. They don't have any family, something like that. They got met in a back alley somewhere. Somebody kills them. Nobody even knows it. And, and maybe they got something stole from them. That stole and killed. But destroy, it goes further than just taking your life. He wants to smear your life as far as he can. He, he might take your life, but he wants to smear your name everywhere that's what he's wanting to do and listen you say well I got this going for me and I got you ain't no 
God's no respecter of person, but watch this, the devil ain't either. And he'll steal from you, he'll kill you, and he'll destroy you just like he will anybody else. That's not the life Christ wants for you. Christ came to give you plenty. Gave you light, and this is what he said. I am come, verse number 10, that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. We ought to get excited about what's coming up ahead. Heaven, hallelujah, wonderful day, happy day that's going to be. I'm telling you what, we got life we're to live right here. An abundant life this morning, abundant life does not mean having all the bills paid. Abundant life doesn't mean never having a bad bill of health. Abundant life doesn't mean everybody liking you. Abundant life doesn't mean what most American Christians think it really means. It goes far beyond all that. See, abundant life goes far beyond money in the bank, health, being right. Last week we talked about those things that we ought to be thankful for, but those things change, right? All of that stuff is temporal. But abundant life is a life of contentment with the shepherd. It's a life content that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's a life of realizing that He's my shepherd and however He chooses to take care of me is the best way. However He chooses to supply my need, it's the best way. However He chooses to guide me and direct me and lead me, it's the best way. You may do more, you may do less, but you won't do best, you won't do better than God's way. It's a contentment that whatsoever state I am, I'm, I'm, I'm content. I, I, in this Philippians 4, 13, everybody wants to talk about that's not got to do with hitting home run or scoring a touchdown. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. It has nothing to do with playing ball. It has nothing to do with you doing a good job at your workplace. Here's what it is. It's being content. Because in Philippians 4, Paul is talking about being content. Whether I'm abased or whether I'm abound. Whether I got money or whether I'm broke. Whether I got a bed to lay in or a prison cell to lay in. Content. And, and I, I just believe there's an inward struggle. How in the world can you be content? When you're abased and you're poor and you're in prison. And this is what he says. I can do all things through Christ which strengthened me. Why? Because I've got a shepherd. I've got a shepherd that's guiding me and caring for me. And he's given me a pasture to graze in. He's taking good. He's given me more, more than I could ever imagine. Because you couldn't find peace in the world. 
You can't find joy in the world. You can't find love, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, meekness, temperance. You can't find all that in the world. But the good shepherd's got a pasture full of it. And there's plenty through the door of salvation. I wonder this morning, do you know the shepherd? He said in verse number 8, those thieves and those robbers come. But the sheep did not hear them. Do you know the shepherd? He's saved this morning. And if not, why not today? And then I ask you if you are saved. Sheep, sheep, you're saved. Sheep, are we listening to the voice of the thieves and the robbers? Or are we listening to the voice of the shepherd? The door of our salvation. The door of liberty. The door of security. The door of plenty. Christians, you follow on the shepherd. He's leading, he's guiding, he's directing, but are we following? Are you sure that you're saved? This morning, God wants to be sure of it. To know that you know that you know that you're saved. That you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And if not, this morning, maybe you're sure that you're not saved. Maybe you're sure I'm not saved. I know that I'm not. Why do you want to stay that way? What are you waiting on? The Lord spoke again. He came again. He said, I am the door. I'm the door. He's coming again. He's inviting you to come. You don't have to necessarily come to this altar, but I tell you, you've got to come to Christ. The door of salvation. 